The April 20th Mindful Parenting Retreat Day is filling up fast. Join me and other parents in Wilmington, Delaware for a day of rest and relaxation, mindfulness and mindful communication practices, and a live podcast too. And my special guest for the live podcast is, drumroll please, Lynetta Willis. You know her from episode 366 and 400. She is a psychologist and sought-after speaker who teaches her Triggered to Transformed program to struggling parents. Join us and bring a friend to this powerful day-long retreat in Wilmington, Delaware on April 20th, 2024. But hurry, space is limited. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat to get your spot now. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 126. Today, we're talking to Jenny Burke about how to eat intuitively and love your body. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you are thriving, when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clarkfield's Mindful Mama Mentor. I coach overstressed moms on how to cultivate self-awareness in their daily lives and to take family and life to a new level of peace and cooperation. I've been practicing yoga and mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course, and I'm the mom of two girls who challenge me every day to own my craft. Indeed, this morning, for sure. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here, dear listener. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome back. This is going to be a great episode with Jenny Burke, and she is an eating psychology coach and mindful eating expert, a motivational speaker, and an author. She helps women, men, and teens heal their relationship with food and their bodies. So I know you're going to get so much out of this conversation. We talk about who struggles with food and tuning into your inner wisdom, right? And and we actually talk about this and its implications for parenting as well. So listen up for Jenny. She's a really compassionate human being that I'm really glad I got to have this conversation with her. And me, it's summertime here. My girls are at camp. Finally, both of them are after a little bit of challenge this morning. And they're going to be coming back soon, and my schedule is a little all over the place, but I want to let you know that I do have space still for a one-on-one coaching client, and this is the highest level of working with me. Uh, we work together for three months at a minimum, and we work on your transformation at all kinds of levels, and my intention and, and what happens most every time, I can't think of a time that didn't happen, is that you leave with the tools to coach yourself in a way and to change your life in a way where your mindset has shifted. You're shifted. We do that work over the three months because we want you to shift from the inside out. And it, you know, we just get to understanding your story. We get to the accountability and helping you really finally take those steps that you need to create that inner well of peace to just uncover it, right? Because it's already there. It's already there. We're just getting that help that you need to uncover it. And it's amazing. It affects everything from your, you know, we help you with parenting and your relationships with your kids and the surprising amount of time spent on helping you communicate in your relationship with your partner. That's often, everyone's always like, oh my gosh, my relationship with my partner is so much better. <laughs> so 
If you would like to work with me one-on-one -on -one and really create that connection and just catapult yourself to the next level, please go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash coaching, I think. <laughs> I think it's there. mindfulmamamentor.com slash coaching or check under the work with me page and there's a link there and we can get together and do that. And then coming up later in the summer, there's a few things coming up. The Mindful Parenting free training will be coming up on September 17th. That's a little ways away, but you can kind of unmark your calendar now if you like. And I am California West Coast people. I'm trying to come your way. I'm looking at California One Day Retreat. So stay tuned for more information about that. The Costa Rica retreat is in the schedule for next April. I don't have the web page up yet, but I do have some spaces that have already gone. So there's only 10 spaces for this, this incredible luxury home in Costa Rica. It's going to be a mindful mama retreat with yoga, gentle yoga every day, incredible healthy food. We're going to be talking about how to deepen your communication skills. So it's going to be life-changing to say the least. So I know I don't have the web page up for that yet, but if you know this is for you and you want to join the other people already reached out to me and secured their spot just email me at hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com so yeah and thank you also thank you also for the wonderful notes and things I've gotten on the recent episodes I loved getting notes on the power of the abundance versus scarcity episode I'm glad that really helped you and oh and I just want to let you know also that there's been a lot of action happening, or not a lot, but more action happening in the Mindful Mama Mentor Facebook group, and it's a free group, and I'm popping in live there these days, about once a week, so check in there, and, and yeah, okay, no more, no more announcements and things, <laughs> on to this episode. Jenny, I'm so glad you could come on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. So you do work, as I've introduced you, with the, you know, talking about intuitive eating and body image and helping women who are on this sort of like diet roller coaster and feeling terrible about themselves. And I want to talk about all of that stuff, but I, I'm really curious about your own journey into this work and how you came to, to be doing this kind of work. Yeah, thank you so much once again for having me. And as you said, my name is Jenny Eden-Burke and I'm a certified eating psychology coach and a body image mentor. And, you know, I love food. I've always loved food. My mom is a, actually a gourmet chef. So you can imagine what kind of after-school snacks I had growing up. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. But I always got these like mixed messages about, about how I should look and how I should eat. And, you know, there was a lot of love infused with our meals. My mom really lovingly prepared meals for us, but I also got sort of tacit messages from society and from my peers and even from my parents. My mom was a chronic dieter, always looking in the mirror. You know, there wasn't anything overt, but I always got the message that it's important to diet. It's important to be small. It's important to do whatever you can, even if it means bullying your body to be a different size than your body naturally wants to be. That's the tacit message I got my whole life. And I always sort of liken it to having two different voices. One, because I lived in a very, you know, I grew up in a very loving household, a very loving family. I felt supported, but I also felt like 
that I really won't be fully loved and accepted and successful unless I, you know, I'm in, I'm in a smaller body. And then I had this other voice that was always saying, you know what, though, I think you're good enough. I think, you know, I don't think you need to change. I don't think you need to go to these measures. And for a long time, I sort of drowned out those voices. And I only listened to the ones from society and from my parents, from my peers that kind of led me on this path of chronically dieting, over-exercising, restricting, always being obsessed and concerned with how I was looking. And if I gained weight, if I lost weight, it was really very self, it was really wrapped up in my sense of self-worth. And, you know, interestingly, I ended up pursuing a path in the health and wellness field. I was a health educator at a health and weight management company for 13 years. And during that time, I was, ironically, I was helping people lose weight. I was a health educator at a really aggressive medically supervised weight management program. And I started to, like I was there for a very long time. I had my three children while I was there. The clients I worked with saw my weight go up. They saw it go down. They saw that I struggled. And I started to question whether I was really helping people in the endeavor of weight loss, if that was truly helping or if it was just sort of putting a Band-Aid on a, on a deeper problem that wasn't being addressed. And I started to question for myself too what it was all for because I would keep dieting and keep trying to be that role model, but it was making me miserable. So finally, about three years ago, I decided to pursue my certificate for the Institute of the Psychology of Eating. I threw away my scale. I finally started listening to that other voice and it took me to places I never even expected that I could be. And it's allowed me to really help other women get to that same place. Wow. Yeah. And imagine the listener is really relating to this, to this story because this is the story of so many women. I mean, I'm the type of person that I've always been super active and thin and that kind of thing. But even myself, I've remember times like just drowning my, you know, the messages of the unhealthy eating are so pervasive. You know, I remember eating ridiculous amount of chocolate chip cookies to numb down my feelings at night and then going for an extra long run the next day and, you know, yeah. sort of punishing myself for it. So I think it's pretty much in everybody. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point, which is it has nothing to do with how you look on the exterior. It has everything to do with how you what your relationship is with food and with your body. So that like you can't tell on the outside somebody who binges or who doesn't or someone who struggles with food and who doesn't. You can't tell that until you get to the deeper story, right? And that's what you're describing. Like outwardly, no one would think that you would struggle in any way, but here you were like compensating for your cookies by going for extra long run, right? Which is this tacit message that you feel that there was something wrong with the way you were eating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually, I mean, I think there was something wrong with the way I was eating because I was definitely, you know, I was binge eating to kind of like numb my feelings, right? you right. know, for sure. It's interesting because you talk about, and I want to get into this, you talk about mindful eating and intuitive eating. And it's interesting for me that when I think about that journey of that, as I started practicing mindfulness and yoga, and especially with my yoga and my mindful, as that whole journey started progressing, my relationship with eating completely 
inadvertently. Like I didn't put that much attention on it. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a, a huge focus of my life. Like obviously I ate every day, so it was a focus, but without putting that much attention on it, as my yoga and mindfulness practices grew over time, my eating became more and more natural and more and more intuitive and just what my body needs and wants. And I've like reduced sugar and done all these really wonderful things so that I feel great about my eating now. But it's interesting that it, it really happened in conjunction with the mindfulness. And for me, I make a correlation about that. And I'm wondering, like, would you, how did you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. What you're describing is very much in line with how my journey progressed, which is really get tapping into and first of all, agreeing to be in your body, agreeing to feel the uncomfortable feelings, the, the ways that our bodies communicate with us, good, bad, or ugly. So much of it is about accepting all facets of ourselves and the full spectrum of sensations and feelings that we experience as human beings. And when we check out or numb out or just sort of, a, I'll only be in this body when I am exercising or when I'm eating a certain way or when I'm this weight or when I fit into these pants, it prevents us from loving what is in the moment. And it was a huge eye opener for me too in my eating journey, because once I started to tap into yoga, mindfulness, meditation, I was able to transfer that to my eating experience. And that was a game changer in terms of trusting my body again, communicating in a deeper way, listening in a deeper way, respecting it in a deeper way and it's higher wisdom. And I started to marvel in all the ways that my body was communicating with me about satiety and fullness that I'd never listened to before when I was a fast eater standing up, like totally fixated on the morality of the fact that I was eating chips, standing up, eating it really fast. Cause maybe if I eat it fast, it didn't really happen, you know? And there's a big paradigm shift when you tap into pleasure and awareness with eating and slowing down and fully owning the decision to eat. It's a really, really different mindset, but it's so, so powerful. You know, some healthy skepticism in my life has served me well. And if you're like that, if you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from about a mile away, you read labels like it's your job, congratulations, you're a skeptic. And Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. I take Ritual's Essentials for Women 18 Plus every single day, morning and at lunch, and I am feeling great. I love this vitamin. Ritual's Essentials for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. Plus, Ritual Vitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project-verified, gluten and major allergen-free, certified B Corp, and made traceable. They select lower carbon packaging, they prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients, and set ambitious climate goals. Plus, Ritual is a female-founded B Corp, which means they are responsible to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash mindful. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mindful for 25% off. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence 
whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. So interesting. It's like the sort of dysfunctional way of eating that like many, 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 many of us have is this, it's almost like we're eating just cognitively, like we're eating like out of the story that we're thinking, that we're believing about what the food is and isn't and what it means and what it isn't. And we're not even really, even if we're eating more than we should be because the story, like we're not even really giving ourselves really being with the food or really enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a good point that you, if you're not really there with it, there's a way that we can just emotionally, cognitively, physically, just check out. And guess what? Your body digests and assimilates nutrients when every part of your body is involved. But if you're in a stress response or you're checked out or you're not really in the moment of it, your body experiences that and then actually can lead to disordered um, digestion too. If you're not fully, like you're eating standing up and you're eating really fast and you're not fully engaged, a lot of things can happen from a physiological perspective too. Hmm. So Jenny, take us back to your story. So you were, you were there, you know, you were a health educator, you know, helping people do medically kind of induced weight loss and trying to help people. And then having this realization, waking up to the fact that, ah, maybe this isn't really helping people. Maybe this isn't helping me. What were your next steps after that? Did you stay there? I was there 13 years. And to be honest, you know, it was very, I loved being there. I loved the staff. I loved what I was doing. I love helping people. You know, I was definitely called to do it. And also it was very flexible with me being a mom. I had great work-life balance. So there were reasons that kept me there for a long time, but philosophically, I always felt a little bit that it wasn't aligned with me. And in fact, I write about this in my book, but there was one point where my boss sat me down and said that they wanted me to do one of the diets that they offer because they wanted me to be a good role model for the clients. And it really took me aback because in my mind, you know, I was a healthy eater, I exercised. And while I wasn't at the quote unquote ideal body weight or by BMI standards, I was a great role model and I felt very offended, but I also like it almost internalized that message. And just, again, it was playing to those two voices And on the one hand, I was like, how dare you? I'm a good role model. What are you talking about? And then on the other hand, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a good little dieter. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a good role model. I'm going to, and I ended up feeling very resentful about it, but I pushed it aside. I stayed there. I felt like I was on display a lot of the time there, like on spotlight, because, you know, here I was trying to help other people lose weight and I was struggling myself. And 
especially after my pregnancies, you know, you know, like it's very unpredictable what your body just does what it does, you know, a lot of the time. And I felt very insecure and very self-conscious. And as I was sort of processing all of this and seeing how over the years people would continue to gain the weight, lose it again, gain the weight, I started to, I guess there was this big breakdown for me where in my latest attempt to lose weight, I went to a doctor to help me and she told me I needed to give up gluten and dairy and I, which I did for 10 months. I'm also a vegetarian. So I felt very restricted and very confined. Yeah. I I was miserable. You know, I'm like, I can't believe I have to do this. Like, this is ridiculous. And then one day we had a neighborhood block party and there was all kinds of pizza there. And I hadn't had any dairy or gluten in like a year. And I just broke down. I literally, I think I ate almost the entire pizza. I, w- I was like a wild animal. Oh my gosh. And I realized like, oh my goodness, there has to be something different. I can't keep doing this. This is madness. And that's when I like finally found Mark David's program, the Institute for the Psychology of Eating. And it just put me on this path that I always knew I wanted to be on. Like I finally started listening to that voice. I finally was like, Throughout the scale, started to tune inward versus outward. It was always about this next program and this diet trend. And this expert says, don't eat fat. And this one says, do eat fat and eat every three hours. No, eat every six hours. And it was so maddening and exhausting and confusing that I said, I wonder if I, if I just tuned into my own wisdom and if I just became more mindful and intuitive about this, I wonder what would happen. So I went in that path and I let it, I let it down that road and it was so beyond my expectations. I, I'm so grateful that I listened to that voice and that I was able to, to get the confidence to leave my job and to start my own business. And yes, it was that was sort of the breakdown moment. But I learned a lot there. But it just it was the final straw in terms of knowing that this wasn't really aligned with me. Wow. So what were some of the first changes that you made? I mean, obviously you threw out your scale, which I love. <laughs> That's great. Besides throwing out the scale, what were some of the first changes that you made? Yeah. So I went to this retreat place. It's called, it's a yoga retreat called Kripalu and it's in- Oh, I love Kripalu. Oh, yep. you've been there. Oh been my there gosh. many times. <laughs> yes, I love it. And it was my first time. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to this and and just be, I went by myself. I wanted to just really tune in with myself and be in a place where all the external noise was gone and I can just listen. And it was the first time that I was acquainted with silent eating and they have like a silent dining room and I was in there the whole time. And I was like, oh my gosh, this food tastes amazing. Like I couldn't believe the flavors, the nuances, the textures. And that I felt so almost like sad, like I had been missing out on this for so long because I'd been restricting, I'd been denying, I had been eating fast because of food morality and shame. And I was missing out on all these amazing flavors and textures and like how pleasurable food can be and how it makes well, your body feel so good. Well, to be fair, Kripalu does have very good food. Yes, it does. <laughs> Amazing food. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I was so intrigued. I was like, I've got to learn more. This is, this is working for me. So I actually went back and got a certificate in mindful eating instruction. So I learned how to become, do mindful eating workshops and classes and things like that. And it, it really just catapulted from there. But I, I kind of credit Kripalu as my way of like kind of getting into seeing what it was really like. Mm, yeah, I've been to Kripalu, but I've I've had some of my some silent eating experiences. Actually, I 
I've gone to the Blue Cliff Monastery a number of times uh, on retreat when Thich Nhat Hanh was on retreat the last time in the United States, and then also on family retreats there. And they have silent meals, mostly (laughs) on the family retreats, you know, there's tons of, so it's a whole different thing. But you practice to observe your food, you practice to say these five contemplations, appreciating your food and where it came from and the farmer's and chewing your food well, and eating silently. And it's not something I practice on my own or in my family life, at least silent eating, but it really is a whole different way of experiencing food. And it's funny because I teach mindfulness and I practice in a lot of different ways. I practice, you know, mindful running and, uh, you know, meditation every day. And Mindful eating is one of the places I have some resistance when I'm not like specifically in an, in a place where I'm kind of being forced to, to mindfully eat. But at home, I have a strong habit energy of, uh, you know, like breakfast with the paper kind of thing. <laughs> That's really, really great. And I think you bring up such a good point that people who are wanting to pursue mindfulness and mindful eating in general it's not about perfection. It's about taking steps, right? So like maybe not every meal has to be mindful or silent, but that you are taking elements of that and infusing it into your eating life, right? So I've tried to start doing this with the kids too, where we like mindfully cook and we mindfully eat and we're like, talk about the flavors and we take a minute to like really notice, like, what are the colors on our plate? What are, what are the different contrasts? Like, what, are the, what does the food taste like? And it's fun for the kids too. Although, of course, it's very hard to have a silent meal, <laughs> but you could definitely have a mindful meal, which I, I've been trying to do more and more with my family. So some of the ways you're introducing mindful eating into your home life is are just kind of pointing out like that. I mean, because that's interesting because that's what I talk about as far as sharing mindfulness with my kids. Sometimes, you know, when we're out on a walk, we'll just try to, we'll just practice to be aware of some of the things you often overlook, you know, for instance, this tiny little flower or the color of that bark or whatever these things are that we notice. So it sounds like you're doing some of the same things to introduce your kids to being more aware in their meals. Oh yeah. And, and also like, in addition to noticing like the flavors and the textures and the colors, we'll also like check in during the meal and I'll say like, Hey, let's just like take a few breaths. Let's check in. How's your body feeling? How does the food like feel in your body? Are you getting full? Are you not? It's just trying to get them to tune into what's happening in the moment versus like what you said about kind of getting up caught up in a story rather than what actually is right now. But I would love to hear what mindful running is like. Was that difficult for you to to start (laughs) that? Actually, running was one of the ways I was a gateway to mindfulness for me because I was in college and I was reading books by Thich Nhat Hanh. And I was like, please, you know, I'd been reading about this, these things since high school. And so I lived in this dorm room that had was near a creek. And there was a street along a creek. And I had started running in in high school. But I, you know, I ran to like Wu-Tang Clan and Nine Inch Nails. (laughs) When I was in high school, I had a lot of stuff to get out. Anyway. (laughs) There was angst. And then I started running without headphones and I started just running and being aware of my breathing. That was one of the ways I was able to, I mean, part of it, I might've been motivated in that I was like a college girl and I wanted to be aware of my surroundings and keep myself safe. Mm. But part of it was to practice being mindful because at that point I was I wasn't able to do a sitting meditation practice, but I was able to breathe in, in, out, out, in, in, out, out, and just notice what was around me as I ran. And I, I still do that. 
today. I mean, yeah. I want to try that someday. I haven't even, I've done mindful walks, but I've never tried it in the running realm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's, you know, it helps you, I think it helps you sort of stay, yeah, stay in tune with how your body's feeling through the whole thing. And sometimes it helps you stay in tune with like, oh my gosh, (laughs) this is hard today, but you know. (laughs) And just acknowledging, like, hey, you know, it hurts more today. I'm a, I'm a little uncomfortable. That's okay. I'm not gonna, I can handle it. You know, it kind of like helps you with resiliency and like exploring your edges a little bit rather than just completely numbing out to it or trying to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I know I, I went for a run earlier and I, I see this one woman every day who walks her dog every day. And she's like got her head in a phone all the whole time she walks her dog. <laughs> and I'm just like, it's a beautiful day. The sun is out. Look around you. You know, this is, this is check in. You're missing world. out. Yes, yes, you're missing out. <laughs> so intuitive eating. Tell me a little bit more about that. What, is, what does that look like? Yeah, sure. I love talking about it because it's so natural yet so foreign to many people. Why? Because we've been indoctrinated and conditioned from a very young age to trust other people with how to nourish ourselves, rather than tuning into our own intrinsic wisdom about how to nourish ourselves. So like, an example, I used to get hungry, like at four o'clock for dinner, like for a real meal. But I would force myself to wait till six, because six o'clock is dinner time, not four o'clock, right? So I was giving over my power to a clock versus to my own bodily cues that they were saying, I'm hungry. I want something real. And that's one of the ways that we shun sort of intuitive eating. Another way is by listening to other people, experts, dietitians, programs, or even our peers and parents who would say like, oh, are you sure you want seconds? And inside you're like, I know that I'm still hungry, but they're saying that I shouldn't be. Maybe I shouldn't trust myself. Maybe something's wrong with me. And so we start to mistrust our cues. We start to ignore them. We start to be angry at them. I know I used to be angry at my hungry, like, why are you here right now? It's not an appropriate time. This is getting in the way. And now I I honor it because it's a beautiful divine message from my body telling me it needs energy. And for me to continue to ignore it and shun it and pretend it's not there only left me miserable and honestly hopeless because I couldn't ignore my hunger. Eventually, you know, willpower and discipline can only last so long and you end up ravenously on a binge or something. So when I started to intuitively listen to and trust the cues that my body was giving me, it was so beautiful because my body responded in kind. It, It gave me the messages I needed that I wasn't aware of before to tell me exactly when to stop. And that was huge for me because I, I never knew when to stop. I, I would stop when the food was gone off the plate, right? Because that's another external measure of how we know when to stop. Mm-hmm. So when I started to eat, eat intuitively and mindfully, I would notice that I was really full and there would be half of my food left over. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, how could I possibly have half my food left over? And it was such a like marvel, if you know what I mean. So that's sort of the elements that I would really talk to if people are looking to get into it is, is notice where you in some ways give your power to external noises, people, et cetera, in lieu of your own knowledge and wisdom that you have about your body. So it's interesting because I, 
relates so much to what you're saying about intuitive eating. And it makes so much sense to me. I, I think that, like I said, as I got into yoga and got to be in my body more, I started to feel, oh, when I'm full more, you know, just started to feel that more. And I can hear the listener saying like, well, you know, what about, what about things that are unhealthy urges from the body, for instance, like sugar, right? Like we know that sugar is really addictive. And I know for myself, like I had a very unhealthy relationship with sugar for a long time. And I remember there were times I tried to cut sugar out and I would like be stuffing handfuls of raisins in my mouth. (laughs) It wasn't chocolate at least, you know? (laughs) Um, So I'm wondering about like, how do we, as we start to get into eating more slowly, more intuitively, more about what our body needs, how do we discern between these healthy messages and that bodily wisdom and some really intense, I mean, I've read that sugar can be as, you know, as addictive as like heroin, right? Like some really intense, unhealthy bodily urges. Yeah. You're bringing up such an important question and I'm I'm glad that your audience is savvy in that way and questioned because we have to question it. We have to bring inquiry into everything we do. But the first thing that I'll say is that, of course, we want sugar. Of course, we want fat. Of course, we want salt. Like This is how we were designed from an evolution perspective. That's how we survived. We had sugar. We enjoyed the taste of sugar because it would help us discern between poisonous plants and plants that were safe for us to eat. Mm. You know, there's a reason we need to have fat on our bodies and we eat fat. So in case there's a famine, we have a storage of fat. So there are reasons, there are biological reasons why we crave those foods. And we also have to understand that sugar, for instance, has both a physiological response through glucose and our pancreas and insulin, but it also has a response in our brain. So it lights up our reward centers and our dopamine, which gets us craving both from reward perspective, like, oh, that was great. I want more and more and more. But also if you're having sugar, like straight up sugar or processed food or something, our blood sugars rise very quickly as opposed to sort of being mitigated through having protein and fat along with it. And then it crashes. So Physically, we feel like we need more energy and we're often looking for quick energy sources like simple carbs and sugar and things like that. So it kind of makes sense why we're in this conundrum, not to mention that our culture makes it very easy for us to access those types of foods because they're in abundance wherever you don't see like a Brussels sprout hut on your way home, (laughs) you know, you're like seeing KFCs and McDonald's and Panera and all these different places, which actually makes it harder to seek out those foods that fuel our bodies. So I often say to people, like, try to divorce yourself of the morality of sugar and certain foods that you've deemed bad or or good or what have you, and start to tune in more to how that food makes you feel, how it makes your body feel. Because the truth is, and I I love this topic and I'm talking fast because I want to get so much out, but (laughs) I love our food manufacturers. So a hundred years ago, sugar was a condiment, you know, it was something you added to certain foods. But now it's like actual an additive in our food. It's pervasive, it's everywhere. So it's very, very hard to avoid all the consequences of sort of mitigating our sugar intake because it's in all of our processed foods. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, what I would say is, like, try to divorce yourself. Like, the Twinkie didn't just rob a bank, and you know, the, the, the broccoli did it isn't Mother Teresa. But there are ways that you can indulge in certain things that we like, you know, like cookies and so forth, but without 
overdoing it because you start to trust that your body will give you the cues to know when to stop. But most yep. of us don't don't take that practice long enough to experience that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And it, it goes back. I mean, when I think of my experience with foods like that, like I go back to if I can reflect and be aware about how I feel after certain meals, like sometimes I'm amazed at how great I feel after having, you know, like my beans and rice meal or whatever, or having a big salad that's has all these foods that are nourishing for me. Like I just feel really good. And it's not about knowing that it's good for me. It's just about like, it feels good in my body. Like my body likes this. It feels good. And going to the kid's birthday party and having the slice of cake and just being like, oh, I feel kind of crappy afterwards. And I think, you know, what you're saying, you know, tune into how you feel, you know, let's practice to release that, the morality, the judgment around it, and just kind of tune in how you feel. And that's going to give you all the information that you need. Exactly. Exactly. And also there's another element to this that we don't always discuss, which is Oh, now I've lost my train of thought. What You just said something about the birthday party and... Oh, yeah. You have the cake and you feel terrible afterwards and it just feels gross. Yeah. And it feels and it feels gross. Oh, I know what I was going to say, but the knowing doesn't equal doing. So we might know that this food won't make me feel good, but mm. that doesn't always mean that we're going to say no to it because human beings are hardwired to seek pleasure and avoid pain, right? So if you remember and recall that oh, okay, this sugary food, this cake is lighting up all my dopamine, my reward centers, and I'm going to want more and more and more of it. Then it also, what it can do, and you sort of touched on this earlier, is that people, what I do with my clients is I help people find other pathways to get their dopamine lit up. So at non-food related, because a lot of times food becomes a surrogate for things that you're maybe not getting in your life currently. And maybe you're not out in nature enough. Maybe you don't have a community that you feel comfortable with. Maybe you're not looking into your spirituality. Like maybe there are relationship issues. Maybe you're not pursuing your passions. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like a lot of times we use food as a, as a surrogate for something else, but we don't want to take the time to do the work. So we go to what works and what's abundant and what's cheap and socially acceptable, which is, oh, okay, this is going to do the trick. And it's true, sugar changes our physiology. It works sometimes. But on the flip side, it ends up sort of leaving us feeling angsty and sometimes physically not well. So I often have my clients do a pleasure inventory and I I have them write down everything they could possibly think of that gives them happiness or joy or pleasure. And I ask them to take on a few of those things every single week so that slowly they're getting more natural dopamine and reward fixes from the neurotransmitters in their brain without food. Mm, yeah, And then I also look at how people can learn to self-soothe more adequately. And sometimes children are given those tools mm-hmm. to self-soothe. So but if you can learn how to self-soothe, then food becomes more about what it's supposed to be, which is just sort of nourishment, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and pleasure though, right? There's all that pleasure of going out to a meal and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, the, the pleasure as well. Feel like you're the martyr in your family. You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, 
we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. So now that you have transformed the way you eat and the way you look at food, you told me earlier that, you know, you have a daughter who's 13. So she's seen this whole transformation. How has the, have the ways you've approached eating and feeding and food with them changed as your journey has changed? Yeah, it's such a good question. And, you know, I do feel a responsibility as the mom of three girls to help them to develop healthy, balanced relationship with food and with their bodies. And she's going through puberty and that's a whole nother ball game in terms of accepting the changes that are going on. And, you know, I try to be very open about that and like, let's talk about it and how are you feeling and what's going on. And, but with respect to food, I think the big part was deciding not to, how do we put this? Like, I think they would see me looking in the mirror a lot. I think they would see that I was eating differently than them. I think they saw my fear of food and now I'm much more relaxed. So that's what I'm trying to model for them, that we can languish in a meal. We can have pleasure. There isn't restrictions. Like everything's on the table. You know, I, one of my daughters, whether it's my 13 year old or my 10 year old, whatever, will say, so how much dessert can I have tonight? (laughs) And I'll say, you know, I want to be like, we'll have one cookie or have the, but I really try to say, well, what do you think, honey? Like, what is your body telling you? Mm -hmm. You know, I want them to have the power to trust their body cues and to know that I can't tell them how much to have. I need, my job is to provide healthy food, have it in abundance, accessible, on the table all the time. And the rest is really, they're going to be influenced by their peers. They're going to be influenced by outside sources. I feel like very little time left I have to make an influence on them. And so I'm focusing on making sure that those foods are the macronutrient balanced foods are always available to them and that they see me enjoying them. They see my husband enjoying them and that they, they can trust themselves. I think that was the one thing that I was lacking as a child that I didn't really trust my cues. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard. I'm not going to lie, but I think what they do notice is that I'm much more relaxed and that I I'm not scrutinizing in the same way that I I feel like I used to or obsessing in the same way. 
children are, as you know, are incredibly observant and they, they see everything and they see what mom does. That's, that's where they get so many of their messages is through what they see you doing and your opinion and how you eat and, you know, how you move your body and all these things. So that's what I've been trying to do. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can, I can directly trace my sugar addiction to my mom's (laughs) gummy worm tub in the evening. Is there a story you'd like to share with us? Sorry, mom. But when I was younger, yeah, she emotionally ate. And yeah, they were like, you know, she would eat the whole thing, the whole tub of the gummy worms, like not just a few of the gummy worms. And and I learned that. And I also learned some, you know, negative body image stuff too. You know, just I remember... And I totally understand it. Like she grew up with a lot of suffering and all those messages as well. And I'm not judging her for that or breeding her for that. But, you know, I remember her looking in the mirror and saying how ugly she was and mm-hmm. and how heartbreaking that is to me now, you know, to to think about that suffering. But then, of course, I did the same thing, you know, and I... And so, you know, I guess I'm curious about your, your journey with your body image too. Like mm-hmm. how has that changed and, and what, what have you done to, because I know that we're naturally hardwired to pay more attention to the negative. Mm-hmm. So how has that journey been for you as well, Jen? Well, it's been definitely a journey and it always will be a journey. I don't think there's ever going to be somebody who's perfectly happy and in love with their bodies all the time. I recently threw out my back and I was faced with how could I love a body that's broken down like this? That can't Mm. even get up and take care of my kids. I'm so mad. Why is this happening? You know, you're always going to have setbacks, but I think the main shift for me is that I reframed my thoughts about what the purpose of my body, my vessel is for. And my arms, for instance, used to be a big topic of my loathing, like how it's so flabby and it's so this. And when I was able to shift my thinking to wow, these arms are here to hold my children. These arms are here to carry groceries. These arms are here for a reason. And I I started to bring gratitude to the purpose of these body parts. Like I started to bring gratitude to my belly for the ability to carry three children, healthy children. And instead of berating it for how it's changed over the years. And that's been a big part. Also just agreeing to be in my body instead of the whole I will only love it when I exercise. I will only love it when I lose the 10 pounds, when I fit into those pants. And I started to really get embodied, if you will, and started to tune into all the the whole cascade of um, sensations that I'm capable of feeling. And that led to just a whole different appreciation and almost marveling in what my body's capable of, Mm -hmm. what it's here for. And I really don't know how to describe it other than that, except that I I shifted my thoughts from blame to bliss and just, you know, I do body scans where I like, I take a minute to like hold, touch a body part and thank it and show gratitude. And, you know, there's a lot of research, as you know, about gratitude and, and so forth. And for me, it was huge to just to like take notice of the ways that I would talk to myself. Like I went to a gym class once and I talk about this in my book and I, I wanted to just notice how many times in this gym class for an hour that I said something negative about myself, whether it was, oh, you should have more muscles by now. You look terrible in these Lululemon pants. Like you're, you're never going to be as strong as these other women. 
And I counted 18 times that I instinctively said something negative about myself. And I was in this gym class to get healthy and to be strong and to do something good for myself. And here I was berating myself. And I thought, can you imagine if I, if I said, if I insulted somebody else 18 times in an hour, like they would never <laughs> talk to me again. <laughs> Jenny, like, you are banned from this yoga class. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, that's crazy. And so, yeah, can you imagine? I'm like, honey, that downward dog is just not up to snuff. Sorry. You know, like <laughs> you would never do that. But, but we make no, we do it to ourselves constantly and we think it's okay, but our bodies hear our thoughts and our our thoughts manifest on our bodies, our beliefs manifest on our bodies. And we end up negative self-talk can actually keep us in a stress response, have stress chemistry, excess cortisol, norepinephrine, adrenaline, all these things that create inflammation and malaise and actually was probably keeping weight on me to begin with. Mm. So I started to just raise the white flag, if you will. And I was like, I'm sorry, and I'm not going to bully you anymore. And I'm going to listen and I'm going to appreciate what you're here for. And it was just really huge and very powerful for me. And this is why I feel so passionate about helping other people do that too. Mm, I love it. I love all these messages. It's, it's interesting because as a person who's had a thin person, I've, I don't, feel in any way um, qualified to talk to people <laughs> about this sort of struggle, but I I see it all the time and I see the shame, self-shaming and the hatred of our bodies and and in of many other parts of ourselves as well and so many people. And it makes me feel incredibly sad to think of the I don't know, the waste of energy and of personal energy and, and thought and all the suffering that is created from this that especially women deal with, you know, whereas if there were more people maybe doing the work you're doing or if there were more support in our culture and, and shifts more widespread, like we could be having this relationship where we're appreciating our body, you know, where we're tuning into those sensations It's and feeling how wildly insane it is to be alive in this earth right now. You know, like it's just, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And you're absolutely right. Like we, especially women, cannot possibly contribute our gifts to the world in the most meaningful way when we're focused on our changing our exterior bodies and, and focused on surface things as opposed to the deeper work that we're meant to do. And I can say from experience that as soon as I let go of that, I was able to start my business, to write a book, to love deeper, to be more present. And I would never exchange any of that again to be in a smaller body. I just wouldn't because all that, like you said, all that time and energy and suffering and obsessiveness kept me small. It kept me contained. It kept me from doing the bigger work and contributing in the way that I wanted to in this world. So. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree with you. I think that's probably a beautiful place to to wrap it up, Jenny. I really appreciate your sharing your story so honestly and your you know, your energy really comes right through. So where can people find out more about what you're doing and find you on the web? 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been such a great conversation with you. And if people are interested in learning more, the best place to find me is on my website, www.jennyeden, as in garden of, <laughs> coaching.com. And I have, if you, if your listeners are interested, I have a free mindful eating course on there that they can, uh, they can join. Awesome. That sounds perfect. Well, yeah, again, thank you for doing this work, for sharing your story, for sharing. I mean, I love this idea of agreeing to be in my body. I have that <laughs> sort of underline there. It's like, yes, like let's, let's be in our bodies. <laughs> our, our thoughts are an unstable and you know, not a place we can necessarily trust. Let's <laughs> Like it's a good place to be. It's a good place. It's a good home. (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you. you so much for listening. I hope you get a lot out of this conversation. Jenny has some amazing things to share, right? I love that what she said about just intuitive eating and the implications for parenting, I think are powerful. So like this episode, of course, please share it and share it with some friends and share it on Facebook, on social media. That really helps enormously. And you know what helps enormously too, you guys, is the Apple Music reviews. So I want to thank Z Melda or Zmelda. Hey, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing your name. For the five-star review, thank you so much. She says, Hunter always has some great doable takeaways that help me with motherhood. Thank you. This is a great way to support the podcast is to leave a review. I know sometimes it can be hard to remember, so I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. And, of course, all the notes and things. Just uh, quickly to let you know, I want to let you know about I have one spot for one-on-one coaching right now. I'm working on the book. I've been working away, but I do have spot for one one one-on-one coaching client and you can apply for a free clarity session. And that way we can get together on Zoom video conferencing and we'll hear about, you know, we'll talk about where you want to go. You can apply for a free clarity session at mindfulmamamentor.com slash coaching. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash coaching. And find us, find me and find the other mindful mamas. You might find some people. It's been interesting. People have been finding people near themselves in the Mindful Mama tribe over on Facebook. And it's a a free Facebook group. And you can, I've been putting a link to it in newsletter that goes out on Tuesdays. And I think there's a link on the website at mindfulmamamentor.com. So let me just check where it is real quick. Oops.com. Let's see where it is. I think it's right on that first page. If you type in, yeah, mindfulmamamentor.com, you scroll down and there's a little paragraph with a few links. There's a link to, you know, read some blog posts and, and check out the podcast. And it says connect with other mindful mamas in my Facebook group. So you can find it there. And you just have to ask to join because we don't have once frightening and scary people spamming us in there. So just ask to join and I'll let you in and then we can connect there. So maybe we can coach together that amazing relationship to catapult you into that, that next level with that accountability and the understanding and the tools and discovery you need. Or maybe we'll just connect, go tag me over in that Facebook group and I'll, I'll see you over in, in a live one day this week or next week. That'd be cool. So um, I'm wishing you a beautiful week. If it's summertime, I'm wishing you 
some <laughs> ease and relaxation in between some of the chaotic moments of summer. That's what I'm hoping for myself. I'm working with just this, right? That whole mantra I think I've shared on the podcast before, the mantra of it's a Zen saying, you know, and you just, you breathe in, breathe out, and you just say to yourself, just this, and you look around, just this, just this, just me and you right now. I really appreciate you sharing your time with me, having me in your ears. I really feel grateful. I don't take it for granted. There's so much out there in the world that you're listening to me right now and we're having this connection. I don't take it for granted. I believe we are connecting here for a reason. And I, I really truly hope that my my sharing and my guests and all these things will help you transform things, transform patterns and make things better for the next generation. This is this is the goal. So I'm hoping together because we're not separate, you know, we're, we're interconnected, we inter are. So together we create more peace for ourselves and we create more peace for everyone. It truly does work that way. So I am wishing you a beautiful week, my friend. Namaste. Are you a mom who wants to feel less stressed and enjoy motherhood more? Do you want to be calmer with your kids and be more present for all of your life? I'm a mom who has gone from really being stressed and yelling when my kids were young to be having a more grounded, more at ease relationship with life and having more enjoyable, cooperative relationships with my kids. And I've shown hundreds and thousands of women around the world how to do this. And I want to show you how to do it too. So if you are currently feeling stuck or stagnant, this is definitely for you. I've created a free downloadable audible training, Mindfulness for Moms, the superpower you need. And it will show you how to respond rather than react, how to let go of stress and feel more grounded in seconds, how to have a smoother day today and become more present for your kids for a lifetime. To get on on this audio training absolutely free, simply visit the website www.mindfulmomguide.com. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.